1948, a piece of short fiction appeared in a pulp sci-fi magazine called Startling Stories. In this story, a rich old man realizes all his millions can't save him from the march of time. He's dying. But this guy wasn't going to throw in the towel. Instead, he decides he wants to be placed in a freezatoria in Michigan. Basically, a nice refrigerator, as the author described it, until the scientists of the future could figure out how to revive him. We'll put the vault in Michigan, Mr. Hayworth. Not here in California. Too many earthquakes. Might be a long time before they know enough about biochemistry to revive a dead man and restore his youth. Not that you'll be dead. Just in a state of suspended animation. And then, 322 years later, he wakes up. And the future he wakes up to? Well, it's like most imagined futures are. A product of its time. There's a beautiful female doctor standing next to the hospital bed, and the old man is no longer decrepit. Now he's young and strong and ready to go. His skin tingled, and he forgot what he wanted to say. Her faint, sweet perfume was in his nostrils. A long-forgotten stimulus performed its ancient function. The story was written by a World War II veteran named Robert Ettinger as he convalesced in an army hospital after being hit by German mortar fire. Ettinger wanted to do more than scribble pulp. He wanted to see his ideas realized as science. He wrote a manifesto and released it as a book in 1964, The Prospect of Immortality. It was a book of technique as well as big ideas. How can you defrost a corpse without turning it to mush? How might you set up trust funds and long-term insurance plans? Was it ethical to resurrect someone who died by suicide? The scientific community shrugged its shoulders. Science Magazine described the book as the work of an utterly confused optimist. But science doesn't dictate public opinion. And suddenly, Ettinger was everywhere. Thank you and good evening. From the Celebrity Theater at Sunset and Vine in Hollywood, it's the Merv Griffin Show. From Hollywood, The Tonight Show, starring Johnny Carson. Here's Johnny! All this publicity had the effect of kicking off a movement, and eventually a whole industry, cryonics. Ettinger went on to realize the dream of his character Hayworth and eventually opened the Cryonics Institute in Michigan. It's now one of several cryonics facilities around the world, which collectively house about 500 bodies, or patients in cryonics parlance. There are thousands more people signed up to follow suit when they die. Here's Ettinger giving a documentary crew a tour of his institute in 1995. Altogether, there are about 50 people frozen now, I believe. Um, here at the Cryonics Institute, we have 11. And who were they? Well, as I said, one was my mother, one was my first wife. Ettinger's second wife, May, told the documentarians about her plan to become a resurrectionist, too. When it's time for me to go, I will be all taken care of. I'm looking forward to being brought back, and I don't know exactly what's going to be there, but... Whatever it is, I'll be glad of it. It's better than rotten. 
There's also no evidence that cryonics works. None. Here's Ettinger laying out its limitations in a short film made by The Atlantic. To begin with, there are no guarantees it'll work at all for anybody. Cryonics per se is very simple. You have yourself frozen, interrupt the dying process before it's gone too far, and when technology advances sufficiently, you restore the patient. Nothing is for sure, but uh, you have a chance. I think it's a good chance. Nobody's forcing you. You can always jump into the grave, you know. <laughs> the worms will still be waiting there. <laughs> so do you choose to rot with the worms? Do you opt for cremation? Or do you freeze your dead body in the hopes someday it'll live again? I'm Catherine Rowland, and from Sony Music Entertainment, this is Seeking. Today, we're talking about the industry premised on the nice refrigerator. Because one day in the future, maybe we'll have the tools to wake you up. Except you won't have been sleeping all those years. Legally, biologically, you've been dead. So before we dive in, just remember, this whole industry is based on resurrection. It's couched in science, but to me, it sounds a lot like revelations. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise, and the future, it's glorious. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. In cryonic circles, there's a term for someone like me, a deathist. It means you've blindly accepted the human condition. You're born, you die, the end. The term is kind of derogatory, as you might imagine, because it implies a failure of imagination, an archaic worldview. And I admit, I've been pretty okay with that, living my life believing that one day I'll die like everybody else. That is, until I spoke with Aubrey de Grey. You can't go anywhere in the field of longevity and life extension without tripping over his name. I'd always known that aging was obviously the world's most serious problem. I wasn't the only one saying aging really is a medical problem, boys and girls, right? But definitely I was in the minority. Aubrey is a biomedical gerontologist who's been working on the problems of aging for about a quarter century. He's also an extremely effective spokesperson and fundraiser, and he's done a lot to move radical life extension from the realm of fringe science to center stage. The stuff of journals and conferences and institutes, and major funding. In 2021, an independent investigation confirmed sexual harassment allegations against him, and Aubrey was eventually removed from the research foundation he'd helped create but he remains hugely influential in the cryonics movement. He is still the standard bearer for the idea that aging is for the dogs. 
We've known about ageing since the dawn of civilization, and we've known that it's absolutely ghastly, and we've also known that we haven't got the faintest idea how to do anything about it. What do you do psychologically? You've got to find some way to just put it out of your mind and get on with your miserably short life and make the best of it rather than being preoccupied by this ghastly thing that's going to happen to you in the distant future. You trick yourself into believing that ageing is some kind of blessing in disguise. It's complete nonsense. Aubrey is now 60 years old, and he looks like a cross between the Russian mystic Rasputin and ZZ Top. I chose the heretic's route in life with my eyes wide open, for sure. The politically correct way of doing this was to pretend that ageing was actually not a medical problem at all, but was just this phenomenon that we should try to understand. A bit like earthquakes, you know, we know they're bad for you, but we don't have any aspiration to doing anything to stop them happening. So is accepting aging just an antiquated mindset, like believing dragons lie in wait off the edge of the map? Aubrey thinks this is the case. In his view, aging is not a thing of grace and dignity or even a normal part of life. It's an abomination. It's the most pernicious disease we've yet to conquer. Hello, malaria causes suffering and so on, but the magnitude, the amount of suffering that is caused by aging vastly outstrips all of these other things. But technology will soon change all of that. Aubrey's known for making comments like, the first person to live to 1,000 has already been born. But even he would admit that the technology is not there yet, which leads us to plan B, cryonics. You can only choose between being cremated or buried, or you can choose being cryopreserved. There's a lot of open questions and a lot of downsides to being cryopreserved. But I would argue if you want to live in the future, then there's more downsides on the cremation side. That's Emil Kenziora. Emil runs Tomorrow Bio, Western Europe's first cryonics startup. Unlike many folks involved in cryonics, Emil has a medical background. After finishing med school, he worked in cancer research, but he was frustrated by the slow pace of progress. Advances in oncology can take years, decades, and Emil believed that if he really wanted to save lives, the best way to do that was to buy people more time. The more pessimistic I got about the prospects of extending life with quotation marks traditional methods, the more I looked into the field of cryopreservation just as a backup for myself. I'm speaking with Emil from his office in Berlin. He's a youthful looking guy in his mid-30s with rounded glasses and a spruce beard. And as though right on cue, an ambulance drives by outside. Death is always just around the corner. In many ways, Emil fits the profile of those who sign up to be frozen these days. The prospect of immortality tends to speak most loudly to men with resources. Who is your current client base? Could you give me a sketch of who's signing up for the service? So we have a few more men signing up than women. Actually, it's, I think it's a good amount more. Tomorrow Bio's co-founder, Fernando Acevedo Pinheiro, wrote on the company's website earlier this year, noting that 87% of people signing up are male. Fernando mused this was happening because men tend to have a stronger sense of self-interest. Plus, they're bigger risk takers. At CryoRus, a facility in Russia, 
there's an almost even ratio of men to women, but their chief executive has said that's largely cultural. Their male clients were cryopreserving their mothers. I wonder privately if more men signing up also has to do with who in society gets to exercise control. It's ironic that study upon study suggests that women are more afraid of death, and yet it's overwhelmingly men who convince themselves that they can do something about it. Emil sees the reasons to sign up as clear-cut. It's usually a combination of three factors. I like life. I want to be around in the future to just experience life. I like to see the future. I like to see how technology develops, what future societies will be able to do. So in the largest sense of the word, kind of curiosity. And then last but not least, I don't like dying. I like life. I want to see the future. I don't want to die. The explanation is so simple. It all but erases the extremes of faith and privilege embedded in it faith in technologies that don't yet exist, and in the beneficence of generations yet to be born, and the privilege. Who among us gets to enjoy life so much that they never want it to end? And who can afford to keep it going? Because it's gonna cost you. To cryopreserve your entire body can run as high as $200,000, depending on the facility. For less than half of that, some places allow you to freeze only your head. These are called neuros in cryonic circles. The procedures are financed in the form of membership plans with monthly fees, as well as life insurance policies that are payable to the facility upon death. But to be suspended over decades, centuries, takes advanced planning to a whole new level. First, there's keeping frozen bodies safe indefinitely. That means no floods, no earthquakes, no political unrest, as well as ensuring a steady supply of liquid nitrogen. You also need to make sure there are resources on hand to pay for the costs of revival and rejuvenation when the day comes. And about that day. In these circles, it sounds like a given, a rapturous moment when the good people of the future, having worked tirelessly to figure out how to reanimate, bring them all back. Emil has devoted a lot of thought to these concerns, and Tomorrow Bio runs in tandem with the Tomorrow Patient Foundation. The foundation exists to manage the funds for each body it has preserved, for its upkeep and eventual reanimation. It's not unlike a trust fund you give your dead self, And that money would theoretically also be earmarked for people to get back on their feet once they are revived? Tentatively. So it's possible that revival, of course, is significantly more expensive. Then all of that money might need to be used up. But the UBI, Universal Basic Income, is a discussion that is being had right now. So I'm reasonably confident that in the future that either something similar than UBI or other social security network nets would be available so that people can live a positive, fulfilled life. Universal basic income. That alone would make me more optimistic about the future. And it does sound simpler 
to just wait until it's all been figured out and come back then. But I'm getting ahead of myself because we haven't moved past frozen, technically dead bodies. Emile's offices are in Berlin, but Tomorrow Bio's storage facility is in Switzerland, about 20 miles north of Zurich. There is a large underground cryopreservation storage facility. It's located one story underground and inside has space enough for many, many vacuum insulated canisters called Dewar's. D-E-W-A-R. Named for the inventor of the vacuum flask, the Dewar's look like giant thermoses, 10 feet tall and three feet across. Really large stainless steel, looks like a capsule. They have subdivisions inside of them. Each one can hold four human souls. Four whole body cryopreservation pods. It's also possible to just cryopreserve your brain. There can be an addition of up to 10 brains per door. Emil explains that his customers tend to be on the younger side. So most of those doers are empty for now, but the company is ready. Given the realism that you shared with me about the pace of biomedical research, do you expect to go into suspension? I hope not. I expect yes. And what will happen in the event that does occur? What chain of events does that trigger? So let's say I'm in a hospital, for argument's sake, dying due to cancer. We cannot touch the patient before the patient has been pronounced by the attending doctors. In an ideal case, the team is waiting in front of the hospital, and the second the patient is pronounced and the cryopreservation team takes over to give oxygen and so on. In an ideal case, you keep the cells basically alive to a degree, even though, of course, the whole patient has already been pronounced instead. And then before you go under zero degrees Celsius, you want to have replaced all blood, all water in the body against this cryoprotective agent, which is, practically speaking, a medical-grade antifreeze. These chemicals help prevent the formation of ice crystals during freezing, which would damage tissues. Full of antifreeze, the body can now be cooled to its new resting temp somewhere between minus 140 and 196 degrees Celsius. And at that point, the patient can be kept, be it 50 years, be it 100 years, be it 150 years, be it more. I don't know how many years it's going to be. And then you wait it out. And fingers crossed that in the future, medical technology will in fact advance enough to reverse that process. Emil points out that there are a lot of what-ifs, a lot of unknowns, and a lot of faith that goes into the whole process. What could go wrong? That's after the break. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. By all accounts, James Bedford was a life-loving man. A globetrotter, a professor of psychology, a father of five. And when he learned of his terminal cancer diagnosis in the late 1960s, he didn't want it all to end. So he reached out to the Cryonic Society of California. The society was pretty new. It was helmed by a man named Bob Nelson, a former TV repairman who never completed high school. Like most other early cryo enthusiasts, Bob had heard about Robert Ettinger's ice dreams and thought they sounded pretty great. He wanted to advance the cause, so he helped to assemble a small nonprofit including a panel of scientific advisors, and their plan was to research cryonics. And then they got this big break. A 73-year-old dying of cancer wants to be frozen. As Bob Nelson remembers on a 2008 episode of This American Life, Robert Ettinger was clear. They had to do it. And I said, but we'll lose the Scientific Advisory Council. He said, maybe not all of them. And if we do, we'll get them again. He said, there's nothing that will push the program of cryonics uh, forward than the freezing of the first man. Bob assembled a crew of doctors to carry out the procedure. But when James Bedford died on January 12, 1967, no one was prepared. They didn't even have enough ice to keep the body cool while Bedford's blood was being replaced by dimethyl sulfoxide. And an attending nurse had to race up and down the block, ransacking the neighbor's freezers. Bob went on to write two books on this subject. The first was a declaration of triumph. We froze the first man. The second, a memoir, was titled, Freezing People is Not Easy. But once the procedure was over, Bedford was placed in an aluminum-lined capsule. It was designed by another amateur cryo-enthusiast, a wig maker named Ed Hope, who also volunteered to house the body. These strange events were all outcroppings of Robert Ettinger's influence. Around the country, the prospect of immortality was having a moment. Lots of folks were starting their own efforts, including the Alcor Life Extension Foundation, which is today perhaps the most famous and certainly the most populous cryopreservation facility, home to more than 200 patients. One of the founders of Alcor, Linda Chamberlain, has spoken lovingly of the future she imagines on the other side of revival. My mother was dying and I told her, the next time we see each other, I'm going to have taken you out to a wonderful dinner at the best restaurant on the moon of Titan with the best view of the planet Saturn. And you and I will toast to life as we'll be together again. But in the early days, nascent cryonics facilities were plagued with problems, technical failures, complications. 
it was hard to maintain the extreme temperatures. Bodies would rot. And it was tough to secure the real estate needed for perpetuity. And then there were scandals. Bob, the TV repairman who froze the first man, eventually found himself facing bankruptcy and left nine bodies to rot in a vat of nitrogen when he could no longer cover costs. But our first cryonaut, James Bedford, is with us still. And in 1987, his body was transferred to Alcor. Later, he was taken from his custom container and placed in a more modern vessel. His skin was discolored and fracturing. There was blood smeared on his nose and mouth. Given it had been nearly 25 years, Alcor considered it a success. A caretaker overseeing the transfer said, James Bedford may still be with us. I hope to be there to welcome him back to life. If the effort succeeds, the world will be a different place, with cryonics recognized as the life-saving measure it did, in fact, prove to be. It's easy to critique cryonics, to call it outlandish, elitist, even delusional. Serious papers I've read on the subject are filled with references to technical difficulties and tend to waltz around the subject that reanimation of a deceased animal, human or otherwise, has never occurred. But as Emil from Tomorrow Bio points out, lots of things seem impossible until they happen. There's a lot to critique on cryopreservation, but the argument saying, and this is one of the arguments, this can never be possible, saying something can never be possible, in my book is a very strong claim that needs tremendous evidence. Just like some people probably thought it's absolutely impossible to take planes to another continent just a couple hundred years ago, right? Now it's everyday procedure, no one even thinks about it. So yeah, a lot of stuff that even though seems pretty impossible right now will be possible in the future. Before I went to Florida to visit Bill Falloon's Church of Perpetual Life, I was alerted to the presence of a newish cryo facility in the area, and I reached out to the man who founded it. I had, perhaps naively, assumed that Florida, despite its environmental troubles, would be a prime place for such an outfit. There must be big business potential there, right? The founder apparently thought the same thing. Dever Dairy founded Osiris Back to Life Limited Liability Corporation in 2016. It's named for the Egyptian god of the underworld. Initially, the company offered memberships for $295,000, which included a prompt ambulance service to retrieve the body upon death and indefinite storage. But when I went to visit the facility last December, these plans had not panned out. I didn't have permission to record my conversation with Dever, but after my visit, I drove to South Beach and sat on the promenade and called my editor, Grant Irving. That was really, really creepy. Uh, I sense, like, as soon as I was standing in that building, everything in my body was just agitating to leave as quickly as possible. Walk me through it. You can start with the bleak compound, like the huge Amazon facility right down the road. So it's a lot of trucks, not a lot of people, just this big industrial landscape 
And then in the middle of that, you see this sign, these big black letters that just say Osiris back to life over a big industrial roll-up garage, which I would learn is where the nitrogen truck comes in to like fill up the tanks inside. DeVert told me he was doing all of this because he wants to live forever. He told me that even if he woke up without his family or his money or his limbs, that would be better than an eternity underground. But he said the cryonics community is competitive. There's not a spirit of sharing. And so to drum up business, he's been forced to slash his prices way down to around $30,000 per person. He thought that he's in Florida. You have a bunch of old people who don't want to die. There's this big immortalist community here. So he thought it would be pretty easy to secure clients. And that has not been the case. I tried to figure out how Dever was running his business in the absence of the enthusiasm he expected. I kept trying to press him, like, do you need to have a mortician's license? Do you need to register with... Um, you know, the city that you are accepting bodies and holding human remains? Are there contracts showing that these people have donated their lives for the purpose of scientific research? And it sounds like none of that is there. I asked Ever about the medical team he worked with, but he was light on the details and wouldn't agree to connect me with anyone. You know, all he did was sort of admit, like, yeah, there's no college of cryonics. So... He maintains that he has six bodies housed in there. There was like different stages where medical procedures could conceivably take place, kind of like little operating suites. And then at the far end, there are these two big tanks. Only one tank was hooked up. It was pretty creepy. It was the like driving force of like, I need to get away from this person in place. Building was like, very, very hot. It's windowless. It's in this kind of like baking patch of earth. And like the grass outside is studded with those little flags that signal that there are toxic things in the earth. And so there was just this atmosphere of oppression. So that is hanging all around. Admittedly, the other thing making me feel uneasy was Dever himself. In 2015, he was fined and briefly imprisoned for bribing a fire inspector for code violations on a building he owned. And then in 2019, he was sentenced to 10 months probation for animal cruelty. Police had found hundreds of animals in wretched conditions on a property he owned. What kind of guy was he? A totally unassuming guy. He's Israeli... Born in 68, so he's in his 50s. He's wearing, you know, chinos and a button-down. It's hard looking at him through unfiltered eyes, knowing his record. You know, perfectly pleasant. I'm not quite sure why he agreed to speak with me. He's given interviews before, and he's made posts on Medium sort of describing biogenics and the second coming 
by way of technology that everyone's waiting for the resurrection. Like we're all, we're all Lazarus. It's really what it is. I don't think this warehouse in the middle of nowhere is representative of the larger cryonics movement or of its players. But it struck me as being of the moment. What I've been thinking about is, like, is this a statement on, like, how fringe this is? Or is this just kind of like a freak one-off that, of course, happens in a place like Florida, where you have all of these entrepreneurs swarming around a geriatric community? Or is it a statement on how radical life extension has moved into the mainstream, thanks to big tech and Silicon Valley? Living forever seems ripe territory for entrepreneurs. There is a vast field of gray between extending human lifespans and bringing back the dead. And then there's the expense, the logistics, the gruesomeness of the process. The fact that in the 56 years since James Bedford entered his ice-filled capsule, we're no closer to revival. But one thing is pretty clear. For most people who go this route, they deeply believe that they'll be waking up to a better world. But when is the world good enough for the big thaw? That's after the break. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Robert Ettinger's story about Hayworth, the guy who wakes up to the beautiful lady doctor ready to go, well, it's also a cautionary tale. In the future where no one dies, no one needs to believe in heaven. And in the absence of divine judgment, people start behaving badly. Scientists begin scanning people's brains for sins and sending offenders to a penal colony on Mars. They call it hell. But for people like Emil, the vision is brighter. He hopes he'll wake up in a luxury hotel and it will be wonderful. Whatever utopia would mean, I think the future is going to be significantly closer to that than to what we might see in any dystopian movies. I would imagine that all the factors, so in regards to self-determination, in regards to health, in regards to what you can and what you can't do technologically or how much freedom you have, how much you need to work to support those freedoms. All of that is going to be, is going to be better than it is today. Emil acknowledges that we're talking pure speculation 
but he's still willing to indulge in imagining the future. Let's say you wake up from career preservation and you start your second career. And then that person might find new friends and new partners. I'm aware that you keep using the language of wake up. Why is that significant? I'm not sure if it's significant. One of the problems is that there's a very good word for going into career preservation, which is just career preservation. Coming out of career preservation is a bit more revival, sure, waking up, sure. There isn't really a good word there. I guess I call attention to it because you're still dealing with patients who are legally dead. Waking up implies like a long slumber of biostasis, whereas revival, yeah. you know, has more Lazarus like. So from a patient's perspective, it would feel like waking up. That's what I'm saying. So all the medical procedures and so on would be already done at a non-conscious state. And then from a patient's perspective, again, speculative, of course, but it would literally be, okay, I'm opening my eyes. And the last thing I remember is closing my eyes, maybe, and or saying goodbye to my family 100 years ago or how many ever years it was. Of course, based on current medical understanding or current legal understanding, yes, these people are dead. But based on the legal understanding that would probably be predominant at the time when you actually can bring cryopreserved patients back, they're not that at that point. Both legally and medically, they would be fully alive again. And then all the memories, everything would still be there. You would still feel like it's your body and so on. But it's just 100 years later. Emil says people would only be woken up from cryopreservation once science has figured out how to repair all the damage done during the freezing process, as well as how to cure your cancer or whatever caused your death in the first place. So there's a lot to have sorted technologically and medically before a patient can regain consciousness. Let's say the heart didn't work well, so we needed to replace the heart. The patient would probably wake up in something akin to a nice-looking hotel. And then, yeah, the person just say, oh, cool, it worked. The vision of a beautiful tomorrow, where we'll rejoin our lost loved ones and all the problems of today will have been taken care of, clean air, political stability, universal basic income, something that ideal sounds a lot like heaven. When I went to the Church of Perpetual Life in Florida, devoted member Neil Vandery told me how he saw the future. It sounded a lot like a storybook version of the Christian afterlife. Whether it's in uh, 200 years or 500 years or 1,000 years or 10,000 years, it will be when things are so much better. We want you know, clean air. We want fresh water. We want uh, the animal species to thrive and, and not to go into extinction. That's what we're going to have. It's a real heaven. A heaven without death. But what about the value of death? Death is the great teacher, the linchpin in the wheel of life. I don't mean to sound pedantic here, but I just, I wonder if, does death give shape to life in any particular way, in your view? So in my view, no, it doesn't. I don't think death is necessary for any enjoyment or anything like that. The nice thing about career preservation is that here, the, there's a high degree of alignment between what is good, in quotation marks, for yourself 
and what then helps you care about everybody else. I'm inclined to make sure that the future world is a positive and flourishing world because it also needs to be technologically and morally a good world in quotation marks, right? It can't be a dystopian world because in a dystopian world, probably no one wants to wake me up. As I walk away from these conversations, I wonder, am I just another deathist? Another unimaginative rube content with mere mortality? I've always liked to think of myself as a radical, pushing boundaries, challenging the status quo, all the while making peace with the will and whims of nature. But then I meet artist and scientist Natasha Vidamore and confront how very quaint my rebellions are by comparison. In the arts, we have genres and movements and manifestos. So it was quite natural that I authored the manifesto as a type of salvo, an expression of not only a rebellion towards the human condition, but explicitly and implicitly towards the finality of death itself. That's next week. The grandmother of transhumanism in the dream of human-directed evolution. Seeking is written and presented by me, Katherine Rowland. Dramatic readings by Rob Dozier. Maya Croth is the senior producer. Our producers are Rob Dozier, Erica Gaida, and Tiffany Walker. This episode was edited by Grant Irving and Megan Dietrich. Megan Dietrich and Lizzie Jacobs are our executive producers. Fact-checking by Natsumi Ajisaka. Original music by Nolan Schneider. Mixing and music supervision by Sam Baer. Special thanks to Sunny Balkan. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.